Welcome back to the History of the Barbarians podcast. Season 1, episode 14, Impending Doom. My name is Josh Hirschman. When we last spoke, our Goths were finally in the safe embrace of the Roman legions in Moesia Inferior, which is in modern-day Bulgaria. But the Romans immediately made them feel unsafe by exploiting them in the most heinous of ways by manipulating the situation to grab slaves, including children, trading them for food, and other ways to take advantage of the Goths. After assassinating some, but not all, of the Gothic leadership, the Romans have to face Fritigern as he returns to his people and stirs them up for revenge. The Goths head out into the open Roman countryside in search of food and supplies, and they have since crossed the Rubicon. This decision has made their last treaty with the Roman Emperor Valens null and void, and there would be consequences. It is important to remember that these events do not happen in a vacuum, and that the Goths and Romans had been down this road many times in the last 150 years. The Goths could easily raid the countryside, maybe sack a couple of cities, and then get a treaty to settle somewhere in the empire and become Romans. They've done things like this before and have seen others do things like this to the empire before. Still, at the beginning of this period, which is typically called the Gothic War of 376 to 382, the Goths were probably just focused on getting some food, getting out of the situation they were in, and taking out some frustration on the poorly defended Roman province of Thrace. It is not surprising that this treaty did not last. The circumstances working against a diplomatic resolution were enormous. Hunnic raiding parties had threatened and pushed the Alans, Gruthungi, and Tervingi off of their lands to seek the safety of Rome. Threats to the borders in far-off Gaul and Syria kept Roman forces away from Moesia. The empire's economics were fine at this time, really, but in order to support tens of thousands of additional mouths in the small province of Moesia and Fear, there would have to be massive re- reallocation of resources. The logistics were incredible, and trying to deal with something of this magnitude, and ultimately the Romans were going to fail in this challenge. It appears that the collapse of the Alans and the Goths on the steppes north of the Black Sea caught Rome somewhat by surprise. Therefore, when the Goths showed up in large numbers seeking asylum into Rome, the Romans, because of diverting resources away from this part of the empire for more pressing matters, like those darn Sassanids, the Romans probably would not have been able to stop the entrance of the Goths in such a large number anyway, so they might as well try to control the situation by getting an agreement with the Goths. If they could get the Goths to cooperate and somehow manage to keep them under control, then, great, they have a new army, new settlers for underpopulated regions, and new gold. If they can't control them, then at least they're able to, to buy themselves some time to move in and take care of the threat later on. The powers that be had to know this was a difficult situation, no matter what, and that they just had to try to make lemonade out of lemons. Meanwhile, up north on the Danube, the Grothungi, led by Alatheus and Saphrax, who had led these Goths all the way from their lands east of the Dniester River, had come to request for asylum from Rome also. The Grothungi had experienced even more turmoil and chaos than the Tervingi had, and it had traveled even farther. They sent emissaries to Valens in search for an agreement where they can settle within the safety of the empire on lands of their own, and in return, 
they would pledge their loyalty and arms to Rome, very similar to the Turingi. They even had to send their emissaries to Antioch, just like the Turingi. But Valens denied this request, and the Grithungi were left on the outside. Now, obviously, we do not know the real reason that Valens denied the Grithungi entry into the Roman Empire, but we can speculate. The Grithungi were still pagans at this point in our story, and a good number of Turingi were actually Christians, certainly within Fritigern's group of Turingi. So the contrast between the Christian Turingi and the pagan Grithungi may explain, or at least partially explain, Valen's decision. Additionally, thanks to the efforts of the previously mentioned Ufila, most of the Turingi Christians were Arians like Valens. So certainly this would make the Turingi more amenable to the emperor than the Grithungi cousins, who, again, are still pagans. Valens was a strong Arian, and of which we have touched on Arianism lightly in previous episodes. Uh, they were supporters of the Alexandrian Arius form of Christianity. I'm working on a mini-series, or at least a standalone episode, on Arianism itself. Many of our barbarians that we are going to uh, study in our show here are going to be an adherence of Arianism. Therefore, it seems to be pretty appropriate to have a podcast, uh, even a standalone episode on the followers of Arius at some point. So stay tuned. Now, another reason that Valens probably denied the Grithungi acceptance into the empire was probably much more practical than just religious difference. Simply, the empire in the region, Lower Mauricia and Thrace, could not handle any more settlers. The Sarmatians had entered in the empire some years before into the area prior to 376. The Turingi were welcomed, so we assume that there was still a need to repopulate the region and fill army ranks. The need must not have outweighed the ability to manage the, and settle this large group of people, the Grithungi, as they were denied. A third reason, but related to the second, is that all the while this was going on, another large group of Goths were moving towards the Roman border. A large contingent of Turingi, led by Athanaric, Fritigern's old rival, was moving down out of the Carpathian Mountain stronghold that we had mentioned in episode 13. He reportedly wanted to find asylum in the Roman Empire from what he thought was a pending Hunnic invasion. Indeed, many other smaller groups of Goths, Alans, maybe some Vandals, perhaps even a small amount of Sarmatians who had held out north of the Danube since the rest of their brethren had entered Rome decades before, they were all knocking on Valens' door looking for a place of refuge. With all of this weighing on Valens, he could not justify allowing more barbarians into the empire with so many more waiting in the wings. He had already opened the gates enough. After the Grithungi were denied entry, but before the spring of 377, when Lupicinus moved Fritigern's people to Marcianople, Athanaric realizes that he was not going to be able to get his people into the empire. This old Gothic hero, who had been the main reek of the Trevingi for decades at this point, who had also fought and defeated Valens at various points in the Gothic War that occurred just less than a decade earlier, would move his large group of followers back into the Carpathian Mountains to fortify himself from the pending doom. Now, a bit of an aside on Athanaric. 
This story, which is told to us by Amy Annis, is interesting because if you remember back in episode 11, at the conclusion of the Gothic-Roman War, Athanaric had to sign the treaty with Valens on a boat in the middle of the Danube because he had promised his father, Aoric, that he would not step on Roman soil ever again in his life. This may have been a little gamesmanship by our Gothic Greek during the negotiations with Valens back in 369, or Athanaric could just be full of it, and when he needs Rome's help, he forgets his pledge. Regardless, we are not done with Athanaric, and we're not done with this issue. He may be held up in his mountain fortress, but he will be back into our narrative soon. So, meanwhile, just north of the Danube, encamped are the Grithungi, who are trying to decide what to do next after being denied entry into Rome by Valens. This group of Goths have an interesting backstory, and we're going to take a minute here to explain a little bit and give us a little bit better picture of their journey. These Grithungi, as we reviewed back in episode 12 and 13, were from the Pontic Steppe like all Grithungi in modern-day Ukraine. They had been forced out by the Hunnic invasions and pushed into Trevengai territory. During that time, a man named Ermin Eric tried to defeat the Huns and their allies, but failed, which this was life-shattering for everyone involved. Ermin Eric had ruled the Grithungai Empire for decades. He had won many battles. He had led them through many difficult times. Some even had called him in, throughout history the Gothic Alexander. When a general and a leader of the caliber of Ermin Eric lost, it could only mean that it was divine intervention. He therefore, probably, possibly, had himself sacrificed in an attempt to curry favor with the gods for use against the Huns. It didn't work. His successor was named Vithamiris, who was related to him somehow, but probably not his son, according to the sources. But Vithamaris then resisted the Hunnic invasion and fought many battles, but is killed also, but killed in battle. His son, Vidaric, was just a young boy at the time, and therefore too young to rule. Alatheus and Saphrax are put in charge of the boy and serve as his protectors and regents. They decide to leave Gothic land altogether, first heading to the safety of the Trevingi, and then into Roman lands. Most of the people did not or could not follow them, and therefore Alatheus and Saphrax, through Vidaric, have just several thousand warriors accompanying family and camp followers with them when they arrive at the banks of the Danube. So Alatheus and Saphrax have a decision to make. They have just been denied entry into Rome. They've just been denied the safety of the Roman Empire by Emperor Valens. The way I see it, they have about three choices. They could sit tight at the Danube in their current encampment and wait out the Romans or look for other options while they stay put through the winter of 376 and 377. They could decide to escape to a safer position, perhaps even try to link up with Athanaric in the Carpathian Mountains or some other option, uh, which may be limited, but move away from the Danube border region altogether. Lastly, at least as I see it, they could fight their way across the Danube into the Roman Empire. The last option is not a great one, because 
The region was well defended after the buildup of defenses during the rainy campaign of Valens in 368 CE, back in the last Gothic War. The likelihood of escaping to the Carpathians to meet up with Athanaric seems to be slim, as it would entail taking a large risk moving away from a somewhat secure position to probably only be denied by Athanaric uh, because of the limited resources of the mountains. The decision then became to stay put for the winter of 376-377. This decision is interesting in that the Grithungi apparently did not seem to be too desperate to seek safety. The Huns must not have been nipping at their heels. Otherwise, they would have tried to probably force the way across the Danube into the empire after being denied entry by balance. They also did not choose to go towards the Huns, so one could deduce that the Huns were indeed still a threat, but not an immediate threat. Now that the Romans have both denied their entry into the empire and weakened the defenses across the Danube by sending most of the legions in the area to escort the Turingi to Marcianople, which was about 100 kilometers or 60 miles south of the Danube. The Grithungi, in the spring of 377, simply cross the river anyways and walk across the lightly defended border. As the Grithungi are marching south deeper into Roman territory, the Turingi are rebelling against the abuses of Lupicinus and his treachery at the banquet in Marcianople. So now you have more Goths who have also been through a lot and have a grudge against Rome because of being left out, flooding into Thrace. So the Turingi and Grithungi are teaming up to create a stronger force to lay siege to the cities of Thrace. The combined Goths failed because they lacked siege equipment and the military know-how to properly attack a well-defended Roman city. But they did begin to split themselves into smaller tribal units and disperse throughout the countryside in search of for food and supplies, which they have a long history of being able to do and are very effective in this method. So this leaves us with a heck of a situation for the Romans to deal with now. There are upwards of maybe 70, 80,000 Goths in Thrace with tens of thousands of angry fighters and less than 5,000 troops to deal with them. It is the early spring of 377, and Valens, our eastern Roman emperor, is nowhere near the Danube because he is trying to negotiate a peace with the Sassanid Empire so that he can return to the region to deal with the Goths. So Valens seeks help, and his nephew Gratian steps up by sending a man named Ricimer. Ricimer, as the Comus Domesticorum, was sent from the west in the spring of 377 after the downfall of Lupicinus and his men outside of Marcianople. He arrives in Thrace in the early summer of 377 to help deal with the situation. Now, Ricimer had a long career of military successes and experience, which is why he and a small contingent of men are sent to take over the ragtag forces in the region. He also was a barbarian, a good one in the eyes of the Romans, as a pacified Frank, but he had long held the trust of the Western Roman Emperor, Gratian. Ricimer is able to combine local forces and his Western units that made the trip from Gratian's army into a small fighting force of several thousand men. Just around 5,000 men, probably. This small army is able to isolate and neutralize some of the smaller Gothic tribal units that are scavenging through the countryside, sacking smaller cities and villages. What Ricimer was able to do was to contain Fritigern and the rest of the Goths into northern Thrace 
away for the richer spoils of the Balkans. Ricimer's maneuvering and strategy was able to force the Goths into several battles in the fighting season of 377. The largest being the Battles of the Willows at Ad Silesius, up by the mouth of the Danube, close to Marcianople, still in modern-day Bulgaria. This battle, as reported by Amianus, was a bloody one on both sides, but resulted in nothing more than a draw. Ricimer tried to keep the Goths hemmed up in northern Thrace all through the year of 377. The Goths at this time began to grow their fighting forces with the Grathungi Goths joining their cause, other Turingi Goths joining. Amianus also indicates that Fritigern makes a deal to hire Alans and even some Hunnic warriors as mercenaries into the Gothic army. Additionally, we start to see Romans that have escaped from the Roman army, uh, certainly some of the forces that have fallen apart in some of these skirmishes with the Goths that are deserters and seeking a way out of Roman persecution if they would be returned or caught, joining the Gothic army. This swells the ranks to an even larger size than Ricimer's. Goths are then able to break out of the Roman pen in northern Thrace to the wealthy lands in southern Thrace and even into the Balkans by the end of the year 377 CE. At the beginning of the fighting season the next year in 378, we now see Emperor Valens has finally been able to leave his eastern border with a peace treaty from the Sassanid Empire in hand. These freed up much-needed troops and the attention of the emperor with his court to deal with this now two-year-old problem in Thrace that we are calling the Goths. Meanwhile, in the western half of the empire, Gratian, Valens's nephew and co-ruler of the Roman Empire, has just dealt with an opportunity seeking uh, Alemanni barbarians. The Alemanni were a Germanic barbarian group that has and will be a constant annoyance to the Roman territory opposite of the area along the Rhine inhabited by this tribe. The Alemanni were making a push across the Rhine into Roman Gaul because of the pressure that the Goths had placed on the empire in the east. They'd hoped to catch the legions away from Gaul and fighting the Goths in Thrace. Gratian skillfully deals with the Alemanni, then heads towards his uncle's land in the east to help out. As you can guess, it takes quite a while to travel 2,000 kilometers or 1,200 miles for, for the emperor of the west. Valens would have to wait for his nephew's help because of the swollen ranks of the Gothic army. He arrives in Adrianople to meet with Ricimer and his men and form a war council. They have about 15,000 or so Roman legions and auxiliaries, including some barbarian mercenaries. So Valens and his war council are about to meet in Adrianople in the summer of 378. They need to discuss what to do with this Gothic problem in the East. The decisions they make in this meeting will have a rippling effect for millennia and later as the chain of events that will occur will change Europe and much of the world. And I think that is where we should leave off for this week. We have set ourselves up well for the Battle of Adrianople, which we will get into next time and begin to talk about one of the more important battles in Roman history and in the, certainly in the history of the barbarians. 
Some of the materials that were used for information in this week's show include Rome's Gothic Wars from the 3rd century to Alaric by Michael Kulikowski, The Goths by Peter Heather, once again, and Rest Juste by Amianus Marcellinus. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to follow along on our journey. Please re- leave a review on the podcast platform of your preference. Those good reviews really do help others find the podcast and spread the word. Check out the Facebook uh, and Twitter accounts of History of the Barbarians so you can get some images and some more info on our characters, both in our narrative right now and barbarianhood overall. And I'd like to thank you for listening this week, and I will see you next time. <laughs>